And I started off as a homeless woman mm. walking on stage. I ain't got no hair. I ain't got no flues. I ain't got no money. I ain't got no clothes. And I go through the whole thing and I'm taking off everything. Wow. And then I end up with this glitter. I got my eyes. I got my nose. I got my teeth. I got my smile. I ended off with, I have me. Hello, and welcome to Fuck Yeah, the podcast where we say fuck yeah to artivism. I am Robin, here with my co-host, Sarah, always smiling and shining. It's so nice to see your face. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Do you have a fuck yeah this week? I do. It's uh, a little personal, so I want to be respectful about how I talk about it and share about it because I don't talk a lot about my ex and my divorce, Mm -hmm. but I have a really positive thing that happened recently, which is that Andrea and my ex met each other for the first time. Oh, I mean, leading up to that must have been a lot of anxiety. I, I had a lot of anxiety about it. And what was interesting about the process is actually just realizing, you know, when you kind of have to take responsibility for your side of the street Mm -hmm. and that like my anxiety around all of that stuff possibly contributes to to the, you know, like when things aren't going smoothly, possibly the energy that I'm bringing to it is part of the thing that causes a equal and opposite reaction. Right. It's a hard thing to admit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, it's not like I want to be in a victim stance around my divorce. I'm really trying to move on from like staying in any kind of negative Mm -hmm. space around it. But I I have a lot of anxiety in that co-parenting relationship. And I I mean, not actually, the co-parenting part of it is pretty good. Like Mm -hmm. Ruby's got it pretty good. She's got two very committed parents. Yeah. But this meet and greet exceeded all expectations. Like it was so much better than I could have imagined it in a best case scenario. That's amazing. Everyone just showed up as their best self. And I almost cried three times, like (laughs) tears of joy. Yeah. I was so honored and privileged and just appreciative of both of them, like caring so much about Ruby. I mean, and I think in Andrea's case, caring so much about me and Ruby that they just really just came with openness. Uh And the thing that has happened like in my body is just I feel this thing that I've been holding just soften and release. And I don't know if it will have lasting, you know, like divorces, it's so hard. It's so complicated. Co-parenting when you're separated is just a hard dynamic, even when people have the best intentions. And so I don't want to get my hopes up, but I feel like I'm not bracing. Right. And I just am like, oh my gosh, just probably the bracing 
has been impacting the energy that's there. Yes, yes. You know? Yeah. And like, what if I don't brace? And you probably didn't know that you were bracing. I don't think I realized it. Yeah. It's so nice when you release something that you didn't know you were holding on to. Yeah. Uh, Because you have tension not knowing where it's coming from or not even realizing you have tension and like you're saying how that affects all of the situations around you because of the energy you're bringing to it. That's so great. Yeah. I feel more empathy Mm. for, I mean, I'm trying to give myself some empathy. Yeah. It's it's okay that I was bracing and that possibly that contributed to, you know, dynamics that were difficult. And maybe I can make a different choice (laughs) now that I know I can do better. Now that you know it's a choice or that it's even there. Yes, yes. But it also has just given me a lot of empathy for my co-parent of just like, oh, what would it be like to kind of be faced with that tightness? That's shitty. That sucks Mm -hmm. for her. Mm -hmm. And so... I think it's good to let that empathy thing in. Like, I think that it ultimately serves the greater good. Almost every time empathy is going to soften the situation and save the day. Not, I mean, of course, there's all kinds of situations, but it's like so often we come to things expecting that they're going to be tense and then they are tense and it gets more tense and it feeds itself. It eats its own tail. It's like this self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. I just also like have to shout out like the big heart eyes I have towards Andrea. Of course. And I'm sure and vice versa really helped that situation. I'm sure Andrea was really like, this is going to work. I'm just going to. This is a big part of you guys being together is working this out. Yeah. Yeah. Like mad heart eyes at her for showing up as her best, charming, kind vulnerable, transparent, like all the things like really communicative. I was just like, damn, you came to play. I wonder what Ruby felt in that. I bet she felt a big release of tension as well. When I told her that they met, she was so excited. Oh, I thought she was there. So she wasn't there. No, 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 no. She wasn't there. Okay, that's so much better. We had like an adult chat. The thing that's amazing actually is that Ruby seems to speak about us to each other in this way that is like so loving and actually so without a filter. Wow. Leading up to it, she was like, I really want them to meet. Like, you're going to love each other so much, you know, saying to like each of them. And to me, that is really the testament of like, even when it's been incredibly difficult for my co-parent or I, or, you know, if Andrea's had any stuff that's kind of come up for her, for the most part, the adults have kind of like kept their shit together. Wow. I'm not saying that we're not giving her other issues. Like I'm absolutely (laughs) passing on, you know, triggers and shit. But in this one area, I actually feel like the adults have done a pretty good job because she is just like, I can't wait for everyone to love each other because everyone's <laughs> going to love each other so much, you know, so it's like, oh, well, she's manifesting too. It's she's really like, sweet. this is how it's going to be. <laughs> right, adults? <laughs> Got it? Understand yeah. everyone? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. I love it. Mm-hmm. Oh, good for you. Good for you. What a release. What a relief. I can't say it enough. It exceeded all expectations. Oh, that's 
That's so great. Speaking of exceeding expectations, we have Miss Barbie Q, a.k.a. Sydney Rogers on today. Yes. I mean, gosh, what an impressive human. I am looking at her bio and it's just like, oh my gosh. It goes on and on. What isn't she doing? I know, right? She is, she identifies as a black non-binary trans femme, bringing more visibility and healing to the TGI transgender diverse intersex community through Artivism. She is the director of the TGNB project. She is the founder of Big Mama Storytime. Mm. Uh, she does Drag Queen Story Hour. She performs as Miss Barbecue. She has a residency at Melody Wine Bar, first Tuesday of the month, performing as Miss Barbecue. We got to get out to see that. Yeah, for sure. She's in school to get her license as a social worker. Is that correct? I believe so. Yes. Yeah, we're going to have to we're going to have to ask her about it. She's definitely in her master's program right now. Like, how on earth does she have the time? And I'm excited to find out how she is even coping in this environment and with all of this tremendous work that she's doing. I want to know what's up with Miss Barbecue. Yes. Yeah. Let's bring her on. Sydney, welcome. We're so excited to have you here on Fuck Yeah. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. I am doing amazing. We met at Pony's holiday party. Yes. And in December, and we just had a really great conversation. And you're so, your laughter is so infectious, and you had such great points of view. And I just really enjoyed everything. So we're so excited to have you here on season two. Thank you so much for having me on Fuck Yeah. yeah. I just like saying it. <laughs> Us too. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so we put all of our guests through the same warm-up questions. Are you ready? I am so ready. All right. Ready like Freddie. <laughs> what is your favorite outfit right now? <gasps> oh my goodness. I'm in the middle of a transition right now because I've been wearing a lot of pants and a lot of tunics, mm -hmm. but I've been moving more towards dresses. Mm -hmm. So I've been shopping around for like dresses that feel age appropriate and dresses that hug my body but don't show off too much and dresses that feel good and dresses that have color and so I've been like on the hunt for dresses that feel good and dresses that aren't drag because mm -hmm. I have lots of drag dresses tons but I'm looking for dresses that feel good for Sydney right on a right. regular basis yeah so I've been on the hunt for that when you say yeah. age appropriate, mm -hmm. what does that mean to you? Because I went, I taught a <laughs> class and I just had on my like hot pink dress that I love, but I went out then to the grocery store after class to grab a couple of things and realized like <laughs> I'm in my docks <laughs> and it's like my dress is really short, which is definitely my style. Like I'm still in that, like I right. love the riot girl, like right. floofy dress, really short with like some kind of heavy boot. But I was like suddenly a little self-conscious, mm -hmm. like has the, am I, 
is this mm-hmm. not okay anymore? So I'm just, I'm very curious what yep. when you say age appropriate, like what, what does that mean to you? All right. This might be the rest of the podcast because I have, I just want to chime in that I was out yesterday with my little goth backpack that I, you know, my, my man purse that um, has a skeleton on it, giving like a peace sign, which I think is really funny. And I, I'm wearing a skeleton cardigan right now i am a little obsessed with skeletons because i feel like i'm keying back into my goth roots and i'm enjoying it so much but sometimes there'll be there moments where i'm like i'm a teenager (laughs) out with my little my little skeleton (laughs) outfit and my black lipstick and i just but i don't want to be restricted by what is certainly patriarchal rooted stigma around you know so i'm like where is the line for as we are women of a certain age that that's so interesting you say that because being i'm 51 right i noticed for for walking into spaces (laughs) being being black being trans being 51 People expect me as a black trans person to wear low cut mm-hmm. things or they think because I've done sex work or something that I should be OK showing my tits or, you know, whipping out my dick or being OK with having low cut things. Constantly so, sexual, constantly sexualizing myself. Mm-hmm. So when I buy things or wear things or. You know, and 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 I'm going and, and I'm in grad school right now, right? Yeah. And I go to grad school online, so I'm very like self conscious about how I'm presenting in class, mm-hmm. how I'm presenting when I walk into my internship. I'm working around working around fifth and sixth graders, right? So me walking in when in like yoga pants and like a crop top is not appropriate, right? Right, it's not appropriate, so. And and it's funny because 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 I have on I have like a little shawl with my little leopard print and so and uh, I had this on the other day and this guy goes excuse me are you a social worker and I'm actually in grad school to be a social worker mm-hmm. and I said no I'm actually in school to be a social worker and he looks at me and goes well you look like a social what <laughs> you look like a social worker and I was like thank like, you question mark yeah. and, and and i realized you dress how you want to present you dress how you how you want to interact mm-hmm. you dress how you feel and there are times when i just want to put on a grace jones t-shirt and some short shorts you know and some high heels and mm-hmm. that's when i want to feel sexy you know you and your hot pink hot pink dress and stuff if that's how you want to wear and fucking yeah. go to go to get your <laughs> your fritos Go, go fucking wear it. You know what I mean? And if someone has an issue with it, that's their issue. Mm-hmm. But so, so when we talk about age appropriate, age appropriate, if it's around, to me, if it's around children, if it's around certain spaces that I need to present myself because yeah. I want to be taken seriously too. Right. So we would say it's more event appropriate. Event appropriate. Mm-hmm. Situation appropriate. Situation appropriate. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll start changing that that lexicon because age appropriate is a patriarchal term. Because right? age appropriate yeah, is a absolutely. way of putting us in our place. Yeah, and saying that we should not be sexual anymore because not allowed they're to be. done being sexual with yeah. us. You yeah. know? So fuck that. But yeah, so I think that is really what it is. And, and also us being aware of that dynamic within the culture, yeah. within the patriarchy, that we're aware that this is not uh, 
normal or customary, Mm -hmm. I guess would be a better word. Mm -hmm. So you're aware of it, but it's also like, I would love to see you in a hot pink dress. Me too. At the grocery store. (laughs) Okay. First celebrity crush. Oh my gosh. Richard Gere. (gasps) Richard Gere from American Gigolo. Mm. When he, when he was with Lauren Bacall and I was like, Lauren Bacall, you lucky bitch. Mm. I, was like, I, was, I was just like, oh my goodness. You know what it is about Richard Gere that does it for me? Yeah. Like, I'm not a huge Richard Gere person, but he has this thing where he'll kind of put his eyebrows, he'll oh. furrow his eyebrows together and kind of look up. Oh my goodness. That's He's he's really perfected that. Makes my pussy wet. Yeah. He, he, just, <laughs> he just did it. He just did it. He had that curl in his mm. hair, the way his hair would... C- part in the middle and it curl on the sides and i was just like and i remember i think i was like 14 15 years old and just looking at him going that's what men can look like yeah oh my god <laughs> I love it. This is my favorite question. I love it. That one was I, that was not what I was expecting, we, you, but I I love it. I love it. You brought me there too. I could oh feel I could feel the um the desire. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Do you remember okay. your first mode of masturbation and how old you were? <laughs> oh, you're gonna make her blush. I'm totally blushing. Ooh. Oh my god. That's where this is a warm up. Warm up. Our first. Oh my god! If it's too much, you don't have oh my to goodness. share what you want. I'm just gonna give. She's rearranging the pillows. I'm, I'm just gonna give. Um, actually, it was kind of it was kind of traumatic. Oh. Um, it was inappropriate. Now I think about it. Now. I was introduced to masturbation by my one of my cousins, and it involved Vaseline, <laughs> petroleum jelly. Classic. Classic, right? <laughs> and I didn't know that I could come that much. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Wow. I didn't know that. Or at all? I, no, I knew I knew I I knew I could come, but with the use of Vaseline. Oh, I see. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah. In the introduction of of masturbation, he unleashed a beast. So, all right, wait, I have questions. (laughs) (laughs) So you had experienced orgasm before? No, I had never experienced. You knew of the idea. I knew of of the idea. Okay. I had looked it up in Masters and Johnson's. Wow. Wow. How did you know about that? Yeah. Oh, both of you are so into both of you. Both of you tilted your head and went, oh. <laughs> I was an inquisitive kid because because I, I looked up homosexuality in Masters and Johnson's. I looked up transsexual in Masters and Johnson's. How did you have access to it? My mom had a book. Wow. Oh, my mom. Oh, my mom, my mom had a book about, uh, had Master Johnson's book. Okay. And so I would, I would go and look, open it up and look up sexual positions. I would look up um, transsexual, I would look up homosexuality, I would look up lesbian, I would look up. How old? I was like 12. Okay. And I would look up all these things because I knew that I liked men as a little, little queer kid, but I didn't understand because I had a penis. So I would go, why? Why do I like men, but I feel feminine? Mm-hmm. So I would look it up and go, well, maybe I'm a transsexual, but I don't. But I don't want to be a woman. 
So I don't understand. Mm-hmm. And so it was all these things. And then I saw the word, i.e. masturbation, i.e. i.e. domination, i.e. You know, so all these words were coming up. Oh and I was, wow. I was just going, I was like, what is this stuff? Yeah. This, you know, and, and of course, my little 12 year old head was like, this is too much. Yeah. I just want to play with my He-Man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not quite ready. I'm not quite ready. Yeah. Not quite ready for prime time. Right. You know, I just want to watch Three's Company and like enjoy the misunderstandings. I mean, Three's Company. Yeah. Three's Company was problematic. It's a whole is a whole whole other whole whole other misunderstanding, <laughs> right? But yeah, my, my mom my mom was very much like, you discover who you are. Here's the books for it. But now I realize now. My mom didn't like talking about it. Right. Yeah. So, so here's the, it's so the double edged sword. Of, here's, here's the here's books. A resource. So, but no, the t- I'm not going to personalize it for you. I'm not going to personalize it. I'm not going to personalize it because it's too much. But I realized she's had her own sexual right. trauma. And at the time, I mean, that's very progressive. This is in the 1970s. Right. You know, this is like 19. What? No, no, no. This is 1980s, 1982, right. 83. I mean, it's kind of the most you can hope for. Yeah. At that time. Yeah. It's, 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 a, I mean, a book that has transsexual in it. Yeah. At that time is huge. Is is huge. Yeah. And the fact that I had access to it at home. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. But that. on but on the other side of that, I would come home and my mom would have like the Bible with mm. Leviticus open, okay. open, you know, on my bed. Wow. Highlighted. What a juxtaposition. You know, so I had access to Masters and Johnson, but she would have like Leviticus open up and ask me, you know, did you read that? And I'm like, yeah. She goes, what do you think about that? I'm like, okay. Yeah. You know, what What, what do you say to that? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, the mom who makes you lasagna is asking about Leviticus. Mm-hmm. What do you And Leviticus, okay, I'm very uneducated on Christianity. And that is the anti-gay passage? If or? a man should lie with a man, right, right, right. Okay. he should let, not, not lie with a woman. And when was she showing this to you? She was, showing, she was showing me this when I was like 13, 14 so years old. So she knew what was up? Mothers always know. Yeah, yeah. Mothers always, fathers always, parents as soon as they see a kid, a, a hint of queerness, gayness, mm. femininity in the boy, masculinity in the girl, any hint of whatever it is, they're automatically, especially people of color, mm-hmm. they're automatically trying to squash it out mm. because either either they have a fear of they did something wrong or they have a fear of my kid's going to have a hard fucking life yeah yeah it's, yeah it's danger danger will robinson yeah it's another layer of mm-hmm. oppression right you know so i have to squash this out or or convince the kid you don't want to go this way right as though it's a choice is it a, you know right yeah you know i'm gonna take this path because i don't know any better right seems fun yeah, <laughs> yeah. here's repression i'll yeah. take repression for yeah. 500 check yeah <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, well, These I, are great opening questions. Well, I feel like, especially with you, I could spend an entire podcast hour <laughs> on each one of them. I'm like, mm-hmm. I just want to know more. You'll just have to have me back. Yeah, yes. I know. It's like, I'll chapter to... one, Sydney's childhood. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Tell me more. Right. For some reason, I love big sticks. I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> we all can have a thing for that. Uh, 
sitting. So I am just fascinated, obviously. I have so many questions for you. Yes. You just informed me. I can't believe I didn't know drag cons going on today. I do drag queen story time. They were like, oh, will you come do it at 3 p.m.? And I was like, sure. And I was like, oh, that's the same day I'm recording. Fuck yeah. And I started a new job this week wow. at Los Angeles LGBT Center. What this are you week. doing? So I've been in like, Congrats. I, am, I am the program coordinator for the Transgender Economic Empowerment Program. Oh wow. God. All right. Now, see, this is the problem I'm having with you, Sydney, is that everything you mention, I want to do a deep dive into. So... <laughs> I want you to first tell me about this new job. Yeah. Because I know the drag stuff is going to go real. It's like a real deep dive. It's a real deep dive. Please tell me about what you're doing there because that sounds so interesting uh, and useful and necessary. What is it? Well, TEEP, we call it TEEP, T-E-E-P. TEEP has been around for a long time and the LGBT Center realized it needed programming to help trans and non-binary people look for work because for cisgender people, their job search is totally different, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, when we're applying for jobs, it's a different path. It just is. And we need to acknowledge that. So with TEEP, it's not just resume building mm-hmm. and job search. It's about how do we empower our trans and non-binary people in looking for work? How do we make them not ashamed of being trans mm-hmm. and non-binary? But, but how do we empower them to stand behind their resumes, stand behind their surgeries, stand behind if they had mental issues, mm-hmm. stand behind if they had if they did sex work, mm-hmm. stand behind answering those stupid questions mm-hmm. of like, name your best strengths, name your best weaknesses, <laughs> you know, all those job questions. How do we empower our community to really go out and look for meaningful work, not just job entry work, mm-hmm. not just work that'll pay the bills, but meaningful work mm-hmm. career. and career driven mm-hmm. work. Yeah. And also on the other side of that is why, it's why they brought me on too when I was doing my interview was that other companies were contacting the LGBT center like, we need to be trained on being gender inclusive. Mm -hmm. Can you help us with that? Mm -hmm. And so they're contacting HR, they're contacting the Trans Wellness Center, which is where I'm working through, the Trans Wellness Center. They're contacting them on like, how how do we incorporate DEI training with this? How do we incorporate trans 101 trans 201 how do we incorporate all that stuff and i have experience with training companies on how to do this i'm also part of another cohort right now two cohorts of training shelters homeless shelters Mm. on how to be gender gender inclusive around los angeles because they've been turning away trans and non-binary people and not including them and and as you know as you both um, know or not know Trans and non-binary mm-hmm. people are three times more likely to be homeless. Right. Trans and non-binary people are three times more likely to be attacked on the streets. Mm-hmm. Trans and non-binary people, especially of color, are likely to be um, using substances mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So going to a shelter and being turned away automatically puts them in danger. Yeah. Yeah. So so, so they're all connected. Being homeless, you know, having meaningful work that they can have health insurance you know, having health insurance, having work, they're all connected to each other. Yeah. So the Transgender Economic Empowerment Program is just that, economic and empowerment. Yeah. And plus, I'm in charge 
the other time, right? The, the, do, right? Do you like being in charge? <laughs> Mama likes being in charge. <laughs> yes, I like being in charge. I've I've done I've done this work at other places where I wasn't in charge. Mm. I was underneath other people. I had to answer to other people. I had to keep my mouth shut and and help with programming. But this, I get to do the programming myself, and I know what I'm doing. Yeah. That's the thing. That's great. You know, there's something about it when you step into a space and it's like, oh, I know how to do this. I know how to do this. I know how to do this. I've done this before. I, I've i been homeless. I've looked for work. It's taken me a long time. I know from which my clients come from. Yeah, you are uniquely qualified. Uniquely for qualified for yeah. this. I can mm-hmm. do this. And that's why I told them in the interview, mm-hmm. I said, I can do this. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that I kind of think I can or I can figure it out when I get there. I can do this shit. Well, you live it. I've lived it. Yeah. I've lived it. Yeah. So so let me bring up other people who, who can benefit my experience. Yeah. 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 That's so great. That's so great. And I feel like it's not just a huge impact on the trans community, but it is a larger thing as well in the culture at large. Mm. We've trans people into everyday life, normalization and acceptance. Like I remember living in San Francisco in the early 2000s and it was the very first time I was walking to work at like 8 a.m. And everybody's walking real fast during that 8 a.m. commute. And I saw a trans woman in a business-like power suit. Business realness. Like business realness (laughs) with her briefcase strutting to work. And I was like... Uh, It was the first time I will never forget just walking past her. The first time that I Mm. saw a trans person in a professional sense that I was like... It's not sex work. It's not. And, and of course, we love sex work. I was yeah. sex work. But it's like it can be taken out of this heavily sexualized realm and into another this, possibility. A whole a whole person, mm-hmm. a whole person who I'm sure I hope has a great sex life as well. Yeah. But it also has a fucking career. Yeah. Ambitions, all of this stuff. And it just what you're telling me is just a continuation of that line where trans people can be just totally interwoven. I you just know, and it's chills. been such a struggle, even within the gay community. But it's so I, I congratulate you on that work. And I and you are uniquely qualified for that you, because you are that activism embodied in front of us. I, Thank you. I'm, pr- I'm proud of you and that you Thank exist you. in the world. It's wonderful. Thank you. And, and what I'm pushing for also is to push for our community to think bigger, mm-hmm. to think bigger of not just taking entry level positions or bottom level positions, but on the training side helping companies see we want to be supervisors and managers and Mm -hmm. executives, but also pushing our community of like, hey, you can be in the C-suite. You can be supervisors. You can you can manage other people. Yeah. You know, you can you can do these things because we've never been offered these positions. We've never been looked at of being a supervisor. Well, a trans supervisor? Yes, bitch, a trans supervisor. <laughs> it didn't dawn on it didn't mm-hmm. dawn on like these cis white males of like First of all, trans women being women, right? First being, women being, yeah. you know, first women being in like higher positions, yeah. Then trans women being yes. in higher positions, then women of color being yes. in higher positions, and it's about being taken seriously. Yes, it's be it's about because when women first started coming into careers in that way, it's women were so sexualized, yeah. 
that sweetheart that honey toots. Taken, yes you couldn't be taken seriously and then now it's like you can see that with trans people as well they're so sexualized yeah that now it's like can we just calm the fuck down and let everybody live their fucking lives you yeah know? And we're knowledgeable and so forth. And plus, I'm in grad school to get my master's in social work. So bringing in the social worker lens of changing the narrative, helping people change their narratives, bringing in the social psychodynamic aspect of it, bringing in all that stuff can help our clients bring it into the training. So bringing in all that aspect, I have two more semesters of school Mm -hmm. and then I'll have my master's and then I'm probably going to study to get my LCSW as well for you yeah i'm so happy for you (laughs) thank you again i feel like a unicorn you are where do you see a black trans social worker (laughs) black trans social worker you know you don't see that but uh, again i've been the first so many times in different spaces but first black one the first trans one Mm -hmm. first black drag queen in in spaces Mm -hmm. i've been i've noticed to step into it and step into it proudly because there are other people coming in behind you, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you might not do it well. I noticed that too. You might not do it well, but just go in and step into it mm-hmm. and other people will come in behind you and, be, mm-hmm. and and say, thank you for being the first. Now I can step into that and be okay. I mean, that's amazing. I wonder, though, what is that experience like for you? Because I can imagine it's scary it could as be, fuck. It could be taxing as well, right? Uh, yeah, it's it's scary as fuck. I I notice I notice that stepping into those spaces, I have to up my self care. Uh huh. I have to constantly, you know, get my tea, get my favorite foods, mm-hmm. get my just got my cat. I have to light my dragon's blood incense, mm-hmm. you know, take care of my altar, get my crystals, go get my nails done. Mm-hmm. Like all those things, those little things. Because yeah. we need those outlets. Yeah. Because we're put into spaces where we have to you know, be on the lookout, mm-hmm. exert, you know, help other people do all these things. We have to have, I call it a toolbox. Yeah, right. Yep. right? Yep. We have that self-care toolbox where it's incense, lights, sex, candles, all these things. And I'm, and I'm constantly finding new things to put in it. Now I'm looking for new friends, mm-hmm. you know, because I notice you know, sometimes I get a little busy and some of my friends move on mm-hmm. and I need to I was like, I look around and I'm like, ah, where are my friends? We want to be in your toolbox. You want to be in my toolbox? <laughs> yes. Jump. Your fuck yeah toolbox. You jump <laughs> in my fuck yeah toolbox. There was something that stood out to me in your Miss Barbecue bio, which is that you call <laughs> your performance style artivism. So I love that we just had this chance to do this deep dive into your social justice work. It's just so clearly your life path to pave a way to make space for others, leave the door open and bring everyone in with you. And I'm curious about how that takes form in your drag. Ooh, so artivism is a mishmash word of art and activism right Mm -hmm. and i got that phrase from looking around and thinking of what i do and i thought well what i do is art and it's also 
social justice. It's also education. It's also all these other things. Because yes, I can make you smile, make you laugh, make you giggle. But I'm also bringing in a call to action. I'm also, and my art has always been like that. I started off doing house music in my drag. And my in house music, if, if you if you know house music, was always very positive. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. keep pushing on, um, brighter days. It's always uplifting music, always. And I would always choose that music because uh, because of the what was going on with the AIDS epidemic mm-hmm. and everything that was going on. So we, when did you start? I started drag in 1992. Wow. Mm. Yeah, I realized I've been doing drag for like 30 years. Oh my, I feel like you could write just the history <laughs> of drag through your eyes would be amazing. There's so much stuff that I've seen and there's so much stuff that I've actually pulled away from because I saw where it was going. Mm. My eyes of drag has seen a lot, but I've also shied away from a lot because of the danger. Yeah. Yep. Because of the danger of it, too. But I realized the music that I choose, because we have to perform it over and over and over, it was always uplifting. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of disco, a lot of house, a lot of uplifting stuff. And then I started listening to like Nina Simone mm-hmm. and stuff like, you know, stuff like that. I was like, oh, my 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 performances can can tell a message. I realized in my performance that I could say things without doing it verbally. Mm-hmm. I could say it through my art. Mm-hmm. And so that that meant I could be intentional. And so I started calling my drag social justice drag. Mm-hmm. You know, you have clown drag, you <laughs> have goth drag, you have all this stuff. I was like, what about social justice drag, where your drag always has some kind of meaning or it always has a call to action? Mm-hmm. And so my first social justice drag was I Ain't Got No by Nina Simone from the musical Hair. And I started off as a homeless woman Mm. walking on stage. I ain't got no hair. I ain't got no food. I ain't got no money. I ain't got no clothes. And I go through the whole thing and I'm taking off everything. And then I end up with this glitter. I got my eyes. I got my nose. I got my teeth. I got my smile. I ended off with, I have me. Right. You know, at the end of it. And I have this glitter dress on with glitter shoes and my hair's all out. And the audience goes crazy. And people have come up to me after that. They still remember that performance and go, that performance was fierce, but it also taught me not to judge homeless people. That's right. That's so amazing. That's a great idea. Yeah. I was like, oh, you got that. Yeah. And they were like, yeah. Because mm-hmm. so, every time I look at homeless people, I think they deserve it. They they need to be there and da da da. And I did that while I was homeless. I was yeah. homeless for four years. Wow. From 2019 to 2013. I was on Skid Row and all all that kind of stuff. And so it's it's this thing of like not judging people for where they're at, Mm -hmm. but uplifting people for where they can be. Wow. I love it. That's so special. Yeah, that sounds like, um, I I want you to uh, revive that performance and I want to see it. Yes, I would love to see Uh, that. Maybe I'll maybe, maybe I'll do it for Pride Month. I perform once a month at Chardigay over at the Melody Lounge um, once a month, the first Tuesday of the month. Maybe that'll be my Pride Month 
performance it next month. It couldn't be more relevant. Yeah. yeah. You know? There's such a contention in our community with people dressing in, in women's clothes, once again, in drag legislation. I just did a read-through at the Geffen of a musical. And I was talking about the drag clubs back in the 1920s and 30s and how women couldn't wear more than two pieces of men's clothing mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and the men couldn't wear any more than three pieces of women's mm-hmm. clothing or they could be arrested mm-hmm. and stuff. And we did a whole musical about that. And I played one of the characters who was running the show. It was like an underground show run by the mafia. It was prohibition and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So much fun. But as we were doing this read through and talking about it. Does it not feel like ancient history? It feels like it's happening now. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's happening now. Mm-hmm passing legislation on drag and I'm like going history repeating itself and this fear I watched the 1619 Mm -hmm. project this is one episode that talks about black fear from slavery times up to now with the Karens and stuff on how they've instilled black fear in white people to be fearful of black people and I feel like they've done this with Mm -hmm. queer fear drag fear however you want to put it of like where we have an agenda and we're coming in to take your children and we're coming in to undo everything and we're coming to take and there's this there's this like hysteria Mm -hmm. hysteria so much that they're passing stuff against trans youth they're passing stuff of with 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 trans kids being in sports they're passing stuff against drag queens Mm -hmm. like they're past like they're they're causing this hysteria so much that i'm like what are you doing on the other side that you're causing all this hysteria mm-hmm, that l- other exactly. laws are being passed. That's the thing, right? Is that fear is one of the easiest emotions yeah. to play on and tap into. And so it's like you get to do the smoke and mirrors with the fear so that then we're all burnt out. There's no attention that's going to the ways in which society, the economy, everything is just being completely torn apart. And I keep telling people, don't you see? Mm -hmm. Don't you see that you're going to look on this years from now Mm -hmm. and go, how silly, how silly we were to get in a tizzy over drag queens. And how embarrassing. Embarrassing. Oh my gosh. How embarrassing for us that we were so rooted in our deeply embedded shame around gender, sexuality, any form of expression that's outside of our comfort zone that we let our country degrade into fascism. How embarrassing. Look at the fall of the empire. We're in the last days, guys. We're and you're worried days. about you're worried about drag queen story yeah. hour. Really? Yeah. This is what you're worried about? What they're really worried about are the books that we're reading to the kids. Yeah. Because I'm doing drag queen story hour today. And the books that we're reading to oh, the book bands. Yeah. Oh my God. That's so ridiculous. Like, how can you literally propose a book ban with the history that we know of? with book banning with Hitler and everything else of burning books and stuff. And you're going to go the same route and call it. Okay. It's not new. It's like an obvious playbook. It boggles my mind. But then on the other side of it, it makes total sense. I see something I don't like. I see where it's going. I'm going to put this fear in other people. Then you always say it's for the children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
in sports is for the children. Right. In the books is for the children. With drag queens is for the children. No one can argue that because mm-hmm. it's like, well, don't you like children? Well, don't you like children? And I and I've heard, <laughs> I've heard some gays go, no, I don't. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't like children. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my god. But um, <laughs> it's this thing of with kids, I feel like there is this really expansive mentality that they have where all of these points of difference between people of different gender identities and expressions, race, class, all of this, they're like, wait, no, like that's the beauty of the world. Like right. they're magic. They want to know it all. It, yes, their curiosity rules. And so the idea is, is that we actually have to make the world really small for them so that this tight control that we have now persists. Because if we expand the world for them, what is the world that they will create? And that's the thing is like we both have kids and they are like schooling us. Right. And like pushing us to be more expansive and more curious. And so it's a losing battle because I do actually think this like next stage of consciousness is going to push through it. But it's really scary. How are you holding up? What what do you I mean, I know you talked about self-care and friendship and all of these things. But I mean, how does this affect your daily life, your your mental health, your physical wellness? With all this stuff going on, I'm not going to lie. It, it it does wear down on the soul. Mm-hmm. It makes me scared. And I hate saying this on here because, you know, that's exactly what they want, mm. right? They want to hear me that I'm scared. They want to hear me that I'm distrustful. They want to hear me that when someone says hello to me on a dating app or something, I'm automatically like, is this person trying to kill me? Mm-hmm. Is this person trying to set me up to like do something to me? Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, that that's my first thought when someone, when some guy says hello to me on an app, I'm automatically like, is he one of those proud boys that's trying to like, snag a black trans person to hang me from a tree Mm. that's my thought that's my thought that goes through my head the saddest part of that is that it's valid it's valid it's reasonable that you would think that and with everything that's going on and it's so crushing being black and trans that intersectionality you know and femme it's a scary world but when i hear fifth and sixth graders and their intolerance of racism, mm-hmm. of misogyny, when I hear them correct, mm-hmm. correct boys, or or when I hear boys, boys tell each other, that's not cool to call girls mm-hmm. bitches. Mm-hmm. Or when I hear, you know, when I hear kids talk about, no, their pronouns are they, mm-hmm. da, da, da. and my heart just goes, they're not having it. Yep. Yeah. The future is not the future's not having it. They're our future. I believe in the future of our children. <laughs> I believe in them because they're not picking up what all these other people keep throwing down. Mm-hmm. They're like, of course, drag queens can read to us. Of course, we're going to have LGBTQ children's books. What are you talking about? Banned books? I'm just going to find another way around it. You're telling me it's banned? That makes me want it more. Mm-hmm. I hear kids, fifth graders, sixth graders, high school kids, tw- you know, 20-somethings, 30-somethings going against that. And I hear that going, oh, 
they're not having it. So all these other people bringing this legislation and stuff like that, they're going to, it's going to pass. It's going to get through, but it'll be overturned. Mm -hmm. Like Prop 8, maybe. Yeah. You know, where it's like the hype, the fear got stirred up and then everybody was like, what the fuck? What do we do? Let's undo it. But, but, But the sad part is we have to go through that. Yeah. We have to go through them passing these laws. We have to go through the children not getting their trans medicines and health care in these in these states. We have to go through kids leaving these states to come to California. We have to go through all of that to get to the other side. Yeah. That's the part that bothers me. It's disappointing. Because not, it's yeah. disappointing. And the sad part is not everybody will... Not everybody will heal from the trauma. Not everyone's going to be okay. Not everybody's going to be okay. We'll have some scars. We'll have some scars. We can't have progress without backlash. Right, right. We can't. And, 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 and And I say this with our progressives. I say this with our liberals. I say this with our trans people. Everyone's like, we got progress, progress, progress. I go, we can't have progress and think there's some people sitting there seething. Yeah. We can't sit there and go, look, we're marching for George Floyd and not think there's some people sitting there going, fuck no. Yeah. We can't sit mm-hmm. there and think, no. Mm-hmm. We, we ha- and we have to, we can't be naive and go, there's not, everyone's going to be okay with this. There are people who are sitting there going, as we were marching, as we were progressing, as we were passing all this stuff, that there were other people in other circles having a fucking fit yeah and and who are mobilizing just as we were to go against that how do we mend those bridges Mm. how do we start those hard conversations how do we talk to them how do we help them put down the guns put down their fists put down our fists and talk about where's your fear coming from why do you think we want to take from you because we don't right We just want to get along and have a good life just like you do. I think it's partly that they feel like we're fucking with the foundations of how they think about life. And the thing is, we're just trying to go with the same foundations. Right. Well, it goes back to this fear of, you know, the way that the human brain works is it breaks things into categories. Right. right? Mm -hmm. And I think for some people... Once the categories, the rules of the game are changing, Mm -hmm. then what kind of solid ground do they have to stand on? And of course, there's also this like fear of losing a privileged status. Right. Yeah. There's 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 a whole thing of that. Um, And and we we talked about that um, among my circles of how a lot of um, white folks within the LGBT community Mm -hmm. are like, realizing that they have privilege that they never realized that they had a lot of white white gay men are like well i don't have privilege i'm gay and we're like dude when you walk into a trader joe's they don't stare at you Mm -hmm. when you walk into a nordstrom's they don't stare at you when you walk into a ross they don't stare at you because you're Mm -hmm. white and you're male first part of the push for gay people has to include this intersectionality that you're talking about. It has to include trans people and it has to include people of color. All the movements 
are connected to each other. That's right. And 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 one's not done because the others aren't done. Mm-hmm. Turfs, for example. Mm. You know, feminism and trans rights are one in the same. In connected. My mind. It's, they are one in the same. I don't understand how people don't see. Yeah, but there is a particular viciousness towards trans women. If a quote unquote man can mm-hmm. turn themselves into a quote unquote woman, then that just fucks the power dynamic. Mm-hmm. If people can shift around and have fluidity, mm-hmm. then what does that do for the patriarchal power dynamic? It, it dissolves it. And so I think that's part of like, it's not a coincidence that like the abortion thing comes up at the same time with all these drag and trans bills. To me, they are the same kind of oppression where they're like, get back in your fucking place. Yeah, it it scares me on how much, how far people will go. And that that's where I get nervous. You know, even going to DragCon today, I wasn't scared to go to DragCon last, you know, the last time I went to DragCon to read drag queen story hour to mm-hmm. kids i was like oh great la convention center park my car blah, blah, blah. <laughs> this time i'm wondering are there going to be protesters yeah. are there going to be people who want to harm me am i in danger i'm curious sydney as someone who's doing so much activism and so much work just to care for yourself and the community. What can folks like us do to support you? Oh, gosh. What can you do to support me? Always money. (laughs) (laughs) Money's always good. Money's always good, right? Venmo, PayPal, Cash App and stuff. But supporting other artists in their work, I think is always good. I think really being intentional about the people around you, friends, calling each other out, when you hear transphobic, homophobic, you know, mm-hmm. anti-female mm-hmm. remarks, anti-black remarks, um, really holding each other accountable with love. You know, it's not mm-hmm. like we got to go around policing each other, but really being intentional. Showing up. Showing up. Let's show up for each other. Yeah. And that creates community. And really, that's the strength that we have. And where can people find you? What you can do you find have me coming at, up, aside from everything? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On June 10th, I'm going to be doing the AIDS Life Cycle Finishing Line Party over in Santa Monica. I'm, and I'm working on some solo stuff and school. And I just spoke at Pomona College. I spoke at LMU. So I'd love to do some more speaking gigs, yeah. you know, speaking about my work. I'd like to write some more work, too. So... I'm really excited on where my path is going and just saying yes mm-hmm. to stuff, just saying yes to things. And Well, it's been lovely having you here. Oh, and we have a little parting gift for you. You do? Sarah. What do you have? I have an affirmation for you. Ah, fuck yes, you can. Whoa. Fuck yes, you can. Mm-hmm. That's my affirmation. Yeah. Yep. That's yes, oh, that's- I needed to hear that. I've been kind of like, I don't know if I can do all this. I don't know if I have the capacity, you know, for everything that's coming up. But mm-hmm. I needed that affirmation. Fuck yes, you can with a lot of self care. Yeah. 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 Thank well, you. Thank you. I'm so happy to have thank you here. You. It was so wonderful to have this conversation. And I definitely need you back because I feel like we have about 15 more hours of conversation <laughs> <Yes>. to have. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> thank you. Oh. This is lovely. 
Wow, Sarah, Miss Barbecue, that, wow, I could have talked to her forever. We really, I, we had to cut it short. I feel like there is a hundred different avenues to explore with her. We have to have her back on again. Yeah, I think we're definitely going to have to talk to Sydney again because that was, <laughs> that was one of our longest records. And at a certain point, and we, we had to, yeah, off track. <laughs> we just had to stop because <laughs> My God, like the life that she's lived, A of all. Yes. All of the work that she does, B of all. Yes. And just her presence <laughs> in general yes. is so, it's life-giving. It's joyful. Yes. yes. She's a joyful, invigorating person with a strong purpose in life. She's serious and joyful at the same time, and it is intoxicating. Yeah, yeah. Invigorating is a great way to describe how I felt through that conversation and just kind of like taking it all in. Like I just I found myself actually being quieter than usual because I just everything that she shared and her perspective and how she approaches things when she was talking about her Nina Simone performance. (sighs) Yes. So that like transition that she made in her performance style from the like uplifting Mm -hmm. house music in the Mm -hmm. 90s, which I also think is totally radical and revolutionary. Yes. Especially coming out of the 80s. Being uplifted and happy in the 90s was a tonic that that people needed. Yes. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. A medicine. And that that then evolved through her experience of being homeless and to perform that piece while homeless. So like you're in a completely different context, right? That you're usually interacting with people and you're Mm -hmm. like for her to have had the inner strength to like put her experience on the stage and to challenge Mm -hmm. people around how they are, thinking about unhoused people and like dehumanizing them. And I I mean, I understand, like, I think some of this is like a survival mechanism for folks. Like they, they have to do this like total separation from someone who's unhoused or has mental health issues to be like, Oh, that could never be me. Right. And then Sydney living through that and then being able to bring it on the stage and challenge people's ideas around it. At the same time, it's like not even in retrospect. It's not like years later. She was like, oh, okay, now I'm grounded. Now I have some basic needs met. Now I can start talking about this. She was talking about it, bringing it to life through her art at the same time that she was living it. And it's just, I don't think I would be able to do that. It's metaphoric and literal at the same time. Mm -hmm. And it's really kind of the highest aspirations, at least that I have for artwork, is that you can have a kind of cathartic experience of your own lived experience and at the same time have it affect others, uh, have an emotional effect or even a political effect or or a, a practical effect to really shake people's view of the world because we get so lost in the day-to-day and and even our own coping mechanisms of dealing with the world that we lose sight of what's actually happening. And that really pointed to her humanity as an unhoused person, as a trans person, as a queer person, and the humanity of everyone else, including people that don't identify in that way. 
It's very at its core relatable. You know a good art piece when you can just hear it described and it gives you goosebumps. Mm-hmm. I have goosebumps mm-hmm. talking about it now. I've never seen it. Yeah. You know, I would love to see it because the core concept is so powerful. And I think that's what's so engaging about her as a person is that she's just really living her truth and has the capacity to give that truth to others also. And it's a beautiful thing. And to open doors and to pay it forward. And I think that's something, I'll speak for myself, that I get concerned about is that, and I think part of it's capitalism, right? Mm -hmm. Is that there's Mm -hmm. such a drive towards comfort. Yeah. That that can just become the driving force of like, I Mm -hmm. want to be comfortable. And then it becomes hard then to make the art that challenges people or Mm -hmm. to continue to have the energy at like this stage in her career Mm -hmm. to like take on, you know, career development work for trans folks, like to, to be able to continue to have the energy to show up in these ways and put your life force into addressing these very uncomfortable truths about our society. Yeah. And to continue to put so much effort into changing that, it's totally going against the tide of like the Amazonification of our like life and our worlds, right? It's a lot of work what she's doing. But I think that for her, I would guess that it is, it's a lifestyle, you know, it's not a choice for her. This is her, this is the way that she leads her life. Yeah. I mean, I know that I'm leaving feeling like I'm thinking about things and how I'm approaching things in my own work and daily practices, something that she talked about a little bit. And so I hope others are too, because damn, uh, Sydney. (laughs) We can all make a difference, you know, and and Sydney's doing a lot out there for the community. Yeah. And um, and we can join with her and we can do our own things to make the world a better place, you know, especially for for trans, queer, non-binary, BIPOC people, because it is rough. It is rough out there right now. In addition to all of Sydney's amazing work, if you want to see her performing, she has June 10th. She'll be hosting the AIDS Life Cycle Finishing Line Festival in in West Hollywood on Santa Monica Boulevard. On June 23rd, she's performing at the Plaza for Pride. Uh, If you've ever made it to the Plaza, you got to, and you're in LA, you got to go, y'all. And June 26th, reading Drag Queen Storytime for TJ Maxx. For TJ Maxx? Uh huh. That's what? That's so great. Okay, cool. Get in it, TJ. Yeah, and you can find her on socials at Miss Barbie QLA. So Barbie as in, you know, Barbie doll, the doll. So yeah, find find Miss Barbie Q. Get some Miss yep. Barbie Q in your life. You will not be disappointed. And check us out at fuckyapod.com or on TikTok and Twitter at fuckyapod or email us at fyapod at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us. Fuck yeah. Bye. Bye.
podcast is hosted and produced by Sarah Tom Chesson, hashtag my mom, and Robin Jennings. Theme music is by she, her, sir. If you're enjoying the podcast, it would mean a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, or share with a friend. You can get in touch by emailing us at fyapod at gmail.com or find us online at fuckyapod.com. Thanks for tuning in.